we always, we built it with that mom moment in mind. And I think the trick of it was following the character's arc very clearly on, um, you know, establishing what her wound was early on. Um, it was important for me that it all came from a place of character. Like, you know, they're joking about it, but, you know, it comes from a place of like emotional hurt. Um, so that when you got to the birth mom moment, even though it's such a huge uh, tonal shift, you don't, it doesn't feel completely out of left field. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, four Chinese-American friends bond on an international trip in search of one of their birth mothers in director Adele Lim's comedy, Joyride. The film tells the story of Audrey, Lolo, Kat, and Deadeye, who experience friendship, belonging, debauchery, and eventually discover the universal truth of what it means to know and love who you are. Joyride is Lim's directorial debut. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Lim spoke with director Jason Ensler about filming Joyride. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Um, hello. Hi. Uh, congratulations. It's amazing. Thank you. Really amazing. Terrific. Um, I'll start with something heavy, which is the, the mom in her video says you, you, you smiled big and you cried big. And I feel like that's, I, I don't know. I felt like that was our experience of the film. And I'm wondering, uh, how it, it's such a difficult calibration to have such raunchy, outrageous, where you're pushing boundaries and then you're pulling it back and grounding it. And I just, you could just talk on that for a second, because I'm sure as a writer, you do that on the page, but how do you, how do you translate that as the director? I, um, I know that's a big question. So God damn, Jason. Like, I thought for, we were going to start with like K-pop and I'll just video. Sit here. Okay. okay. Um, no, the, it's, it's a great question because um, it was baked in from the very beginning, even when I did my pitch deck with Lionsgate. Um, I had, we always, we built it with that mom moment in mind and to be able to sell it tonally to the studio, I got um, a Korean actor friend to basically record it. We did all this during COVID lockdown. So I'm on the phone with her. She has the script. I'm like, just, you know, just do it, record it like on your phone. That's exactly how we want it. I put the whole video in the deck. Um, just to show that, you know, we, it could be done tonally. As, and as, as I was pitching it through, you know, you're pitching like the loud, big, ridiculous set pieces, throwing in like every dick joke, you know, you've ever come up with. And, but you're following, you know, I think the trick of it was following the character's arc very clearly on, um, you know, establishing what her wound was early on, making sure, and you know, you just saw it, like we went like big, but, but really all the humor um, it was important for me that it all came from a place of character. Like, you know, they're joking about it, but, you know, it comes from a place of like emotional hurt. Um, so that when you got to the birth mom moment, even though it's such a huge uh, tonal shift, you don't, it doesn't feel completely out of left field. You don't feel detached from the character. You've been following it the whole time. And we start with a big emotional wound. So, you know, it's like, you know, hey, we're here. Great. And, and did you find that you, like on, when you're on set, when you're directing performance, 
it, it seems to have a, uh, it's the, how do you, how did you sustain the, the level of, of, of insanity, the pace of the dialogue, the volume of the dialogue, like they're, they're, they're just amped. I don't know if you gave them cocaine or if. Okay. So here's the thing with Sherry Cola, Ashley Park, that whole gang, um, you know, vibrating at this level, you would think actors never done coke had never like any of like the good stuff we literally had to have like our crew coach them on how to like smoke a bong and like this is how you cut lines of coke um like no clue they just show up like amped like they wake up like that uh sherry cola particularly like she walks into the room and she's just got like this crazy like mom like you know energy right off the bat um we have um, we have shut down every restaurant we've ever been in. Um, so I think with, with her, um, you know, when we were putting the cast together, the trick with an Asian American led film is that, you know, we traditionally have not had as many opportunities um, to kind of be the star of the show. So you want to find people who are massively talented but are used to kind of holding people's attention, using to, you know, used to commanding a scene. Sherry Cola was a stand-up, is a stand-up comic. I saw her open for Ronnie Chang and she just walked onto the stage, you know, in this like theater full of thousands of people and she was just like, ah, you know, and immediately just like cooch jokes. I was like, you are, you are the person for me and just fell in love with her. So I'm sorry, your question was like yeah, the level of energy. It, I got lucky. She came in with that. That's great. Well, let, let's just talk about the di the difference in your mind as you're directing between what you're doing for Asian representation and how universal the story is about friendship and about and about this transformation of identity, which is universal outside of any ethnicity. So it's both. It's both representational, representing, and it's also, it's this other thing that we can all relate to. Uh, yeah, so we uh, came up with the story. My friends, Cherry uh, Chiva, Teresa Shaw, they're longtime TV writers. And my background is, you know, I've spent like 17 years as a TV writer before moving into features. And we just like go out to dinner and we just like tell each other like disgusting dating stories and like, and we just thought we wanted to put it on screen. Like we'd never seen an R-rated comedy with faces that looked like ours. Um, and things with Asian people, you don't wake up in the morning going like, damn, I'm Asian. I got, you know, what am I going to do about representation? How am I going to break barriers? It's part of, it's, you know, it's part of you, but it's not all of you. And so we took that same attitude with the writing that um, it wasn't going to be an overt exploration of, you know, of racial identity or racial trauma. And also, you know, like nobody goes to the movies because they want to like explore racial trauma. Like it's, it's, or, you know, you're not clicking on Netflix when you're just like, oh, I just want to feel bad today. Uh, you know, like it, it's kind of built into your... Speak for yourself. You know, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of built into your, you know, the th into your everyday life and experience. And we really wanted to lean hard into the joy of it, of just this, you know, this sort of sublime, hysterical joy. Yeah. Well, you've captured that. Uh, let's talk about production. Um, so you shot this all in Vancouver. Yep. That's Scenic amazing. Vancouver. It's amazing. Greater it's Vancouver. So, it feels so germane and organic to this to to where you're telling me it is um there was a there was a script a, a while back called action movie it was related to the date movie and the scary movie and they had a joke in it that every time they cut to a location there was a molson 
sign and like a maple leaf. And then they would say like Bangkok or Sri Lanka. So it can be done. Um, so I'm just wondering, like from a production design standpoint, just talk me through that process of how you created such an authentic space for them to travel in both exterior and interior. I mean, I felt like when they were in those open fields, I felt like I was in feudal wherever. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we wrote the script before the pandemic shut down and I grew, I'm an immigrant. I grew up in Asia and I've also shot a lot in Vancouver. A lot of the TV shows I'd worked on as a TV writer, we shot in Vancouver and I knew Vancouver looks nothing like anywhere you've ever been in Asia. Um, and Camp Vancouver has a lot of Asian people in it, but even the people look different. You know, it's like, it's a different kind of Asian. Um, and so when we got greenlit during the shutdown, one of the conditions was you have to shoot the entire thing in Vancouver. My first reaction was like, no, uh, how? Um, and it, you know, I, I actually reached out to you. So if you guys don't know, I met Jason um, on a TV series and who was, and I went into a blind panic after I said yes to directing of like, I, there's so much shit. I don't know. Jason, help me out. And so, you know, I go to uh, classes at his house and he was just amazing allyship, you guys. Um, so, but back to uh, Vancouver for Asia. Um, so I said yes, because you want your movie to get made. And so you're saying yes to whatever, but in my head, I'm thinking like, it's never going to fucking work. It's going to suck. The Asians are going to call me out, you know, cause I wanted the, I wanted the experience to feel really authentic and that journey for Audrey to go from some place that feels like the Pacific Northwest, you know, to throw her into the deep end of the pool to feel alienated. So, um, I have to thank um, my production designer, Michael Wong, and my costume designer, Beverly Hyun. Um, I thought if I could not transport um, the audience to those places, that I could at least transport them to a place that felt authentically very real. So it wasn't just about um, heads of department who knew the culture from the outside or had done like, you know, a half an hour of Google research, my set designer would bring pictures of his grandmother's house in Hong Kong. And, you know, we would go off of that. And also like, we didn't have a ton of money. Um, and we're a travelogue. So it's like shooting a new movie every two to three days. So all the parts like, you know, like you mentioned Nine Eyes house, like grandma's house in the courtyard, um, the inside of her house, we're literally in um, downtown Vancouver off Pender Street. And if you're familiar with Vancouver at all, Pender Street is like meth central, like walking dead, like, you know, intense. But there's a Chinatown right in it. Um, and we found a, a storage warehouse that they were storing um, like street signs in or something, but there was something about the texture of the wall that felt real. And we were like that. And again, our producers thought like we were completely insane, but we went off his grandma's house, house pictures, you know, because there was something again about the, the, the texture of that exposed brick that just felt real. And same with the courtyard of Nine Eyes house. Like there's this tiny courtyard um, in, at the back of these uh, shop houses where I think they're probably like running illegal mahjong games, but again, authentic feel. So we're like, let's, you know, let's build this out. So all the parts with, um, you saw in like these more like remote Chinese, uh, um, villages with like the small streets and everything. It's just like downtown Vancouver. Great. Did you, um, could you talk about some of your, your, uh, your influences just from a rhythmic and a comedic standpoint? Cause so I, I'm wondering two things. One is there's such a great uh, 
open framing to it. The comedy really plays. It really lives. Like it breathes. It's not too tight. It's not too, it's not, you know, you see the body language, like you see the relationship between the characters. Was that just instinctual? Was there, were the things that you watched? That's one question. And the second question comedically is, um, how much improvisation were you doing? How many alternate jokes were you doing? Um, and what was that process like? Um, the process of shooting a comedy, especially, uh, we did this with Point Grey, which is Seth Rogen's company. And they come from the Judd Apatow School of Comedy. So you are talking about a million alts. Um, and how that affects you as a director, A, is that you're looking at a three-page scene, but you're not looking at a three-page scene. You're looking at an eight-page scene. Because they'll have, on the day, you have a tent full of comedy writers. And they've got all these spots for jokes. And in each spot, you've got like maybe eight, ten alt jokes. And how that affects you practically is that they're just, you know, the actors are riffing. They're improvising off these jokes and eye lines are shifting. And so when you're trying to get a beautiful shot, you're trying to, you know, it, it's, um, you're, you're doing constant cross coverage. Um, you know, there's the, the managing of like, you know, uh, people managing of like telling your producers and these uh, comedy writers um, who want to put in like 12 amazing jokes. Super funny. You're just like, I am running out of daylight. Like, I don't have time for this. Um, you know, figuring out like what's the best thing. But um, you mentioned like the open frame. Part of that was out of necessity because, you know, you're not lighting for every single shot. Sometimes you can you can always fall back to that white master. Um, my our cast is wonderful and fantastic and very physical. So, you know, just having it kind of have the frame sit there just allows you to capture a lot of it. Did you, um, I mean, traditionally, you know, you sort of do your master, warm up your actors and you sort of move in. Was there any, just to capture the magic between them, were you ever sort of go, going in, getting the cross coverage and then sort of doing your geography stuff late? Like what was the process there just to protect yourself so that you, because you were cross covering, but, but, but you had four characters. Sometimes you did have to repeat things. Yeah. 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 Um, there was a lot of repeating things um, with the with those joke alts. Um, you know, I think it, it was a, definitely a learning curve for me. And what you realize is first, you just got to be judicious about where it happens. And for the alts to try and keep it on like single coverage, um, you know, so that you, you just you just have that because the moment you have two shots, then you're tying in, you know, another person. There's continuity issues. Again, they're very physical. They're doing all kinds of things. Um uh, I forgot the first part of your question. Hold on. Well, my first part was about um, uh, just any influences. Any oh, yeah, other, yeah. Uh, you know, did you pull from, did you, were there other directors or other movies or other, um, uh, even photographs or works of art or pieces of music? Was there, what was sort of like bringing you into the, into the process of creating it? Um, well, really like our big, our big influences were the hangover and bridesmaids, uh, you know, and also kind of, um, I grew up with a lot of Hong Kong comedies like Stephen Chow, which, you know, kind of goes like big and crazy. Um, and, and again, it's like totally all over the place, but kind of feels of one voice. Um, and then there was a trick I picked up from you, um, uh, where Jason would come to set and he would print, he like, you know, print all these, um, shots, um, all these stills. And that's exactly what I did. I would go through all, I, you know, subscribe to a shot deck and just spend, you know, your shut down at home during the pandemic. And that's what I would do all day, like kind of just combing, 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 just to get all these stills. And they became my, I had, um, a visual beyond the, the deck, 
um, for the movie. I had a visual guide that was a shorthand for everybody on crew, for the for the studio, for costume, you know, so that people could get a sense of the palette, the tone, the blocking. Um, to that end, what how 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 much do you feel in terms of what is in the film? It seems like there's a balance between what you what you planned and what you set out to get and then sort of the reality imposing itself on the day plus the improvisation plus yeah. the alt jokes yeah. because it feels it feels very alive and organic but then there are moments and I'm curious about this you end the sort of sex montage it feels very deliberate like you had planned to I could be wrong or you found it in post um, but, uh, but there's a balance between like what feels deliberate and then what is just completely found either on the day or in post. All planned, all completely no, deliberately I know, planned you know, meticulously. Was, this this film was all AI, correct? Yes. Um, that, oh God, we had no idea how that was going to come together. We were just like, sex montage happens, go. Um, no, we, it, it was, it was deliberate, but you don't know what's actually going to work and what's going to cut together well. Um, you have actors, you know, again, I keep bringing up the pandemic because all the things you take for granted, like chemistry reads and, you know, being able to rehearse certain things in person. Um, we didn't have a lot of that. And because we were in Vancouver, because of the restrictions, sometimes the first time the actors met each other, or worked with each other was, you know, the night before or on set, like on rehearsal that day. When it comes specifically to the sex montage, again, it's all fun and games until you have like three actors who've never worked together before, you know, have to like, like drop trow and like get close and you're throwing all these like over the top things. Um, and you know, there are all these safeguards in place. You have your intimacy coordinator. You've like, um, you've storyboarded these things, but you don't know, you don't know how a threesome is going to look. You don't know if that over the shoulder thing with her and the, the phone thing is going to work until you, you really see it. Like you, 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 try, you try a bunch of different things. Um, the, I think that, the thing that was the trickiest was um, the Theragun and the basketball um, moment. Like the whole thing, again, you know, I have so much appreciation now for just like directors and what you should deal with. A writer can just write down and the basketball explodes as she comes. And you're like, great. Um, the number of conversations I had about a basketball exploding, um, you know, between a woman's legs and how it looks. And do we have to pack it with powder when it, you know, um, to make it look like it's exploding versus like a, you know, um, yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Did you, were there other uh, production challenges that you, on the day, you had to improvise, you had to think on your feet that were, that threw your plan into, into a, a disarray? Um, yeah, a bunch. Um, actually, there was one other thing I wanted to get into before I'll, I'll, and I'll, I'll come back to this. Um, when you talk about, uh, you know, things that we planned um, and huge set pieces, there was a huge, huge set piece that was going to be the set piece of the movie that isn't in here because it was about our four trying to cross a river, getting on a like a dragon boat that capsizes and getting on a water buffalo. And, you know, and we were... Full on in it, like we had, we were auditioning water buffalo, and you know, uh, just so y'all know, water buffalo don't necessarily want to get in the water. Um, it, they they don't take direction. They don't take yeah. direction. Um, also covered with lice. Um, 
So it was, and this was maybe a week um, before shooting. Um, and where we realized like, oh shoot, we got to scrap this whole big thing that we're building towards. And then we're going to have to like elevate the K-pop thing and make a bigger thing out of that. So that was something we had to do fairly quickly. Um, but to your question of adapting on the day, we had that bit at the end where they go to Paris. And this was when we did reshoots and we were reshooting back in scenic, rainy Vancouver um, for Paris. And we we were going to have a whole thing of them outdoors and, you know, enjoying like all these like, you know, scenic garden spots. And we're going to drop these amazing like, you know, extensions, et cetera, in the background. Um, it was sunshiny all three days, except for the three hours that we were shooting exterior. And so then, you know, it all, all your plans go to shit and you, you find a cute pond um, and you stick a couple of statues there to make it look like France. Um, yeah. And you're just like, okay. And all the cloudiness and all that muck where, you know, we'll throw, we'll throw a, a fuzzy thing of the Eiffel Tower back then. Hope nobody notices. Give us a croissant and some cheese. and Yeah. You know, we're just like Paris. We'll have a guy with a beret and somebody walking around with a baguette and you're, you're transported. Do you, um, in terms of, I, I, I asked this, but I'm always curious about your process with actors, just working with actors. You didn't have a lot of rehearsal time, you said. Um, but on the, uh, in terms of creating a safe space, you obviously have very talented actors, but creating a safe space where they're like, did you have to push them at all? Or did you have to bring them down? Like where, where's the calibration with your actors and how did you work with them? Um, we didn't have a lot of rehearsal time with guest cast, but with my actors, I actually did have a, a bunch of time. Uh, and they, you know, they, they project kind of like happy, exuberant, um, kind of like, you know, uh, zany, but they actually take their craft really, really seriously. Ashley Parks, a trained Broadway actress with Steph Shu. Um, Sherry Kowala comes from comedy, hardest working woman in, in the business. Sabrina Wu, who's our newcomer, Deadeye. Um, we snatched them from the they are amazing. Snatch them from the cradle. Um, and their audition Zoom, I found out later, uh, because, you know, you were auditioning everybody on Zoom um, on these off these files. And uh, they said, well, did you notice when I started my audition, it was light outside. And by the end of it, it's dark because I did like 87 takes. So that's the kind of like Haitian work ethic uh, they were bringing to the to the table. So the process with the writers and I'm again, TV writer, like, you know, I'm dramatic TV writer, you know, plotting arcs for like big arcs. Every single scene. Here's your you know start point, exit point. This is the this is the turn in the scene. They we do um, days and days of prep um, in my apartment in Vancouver. They all showed up with their binders. I had all the post-its on the wall plotting out their entire arc, you know, and so and working with them on it so that they always knew where they were emotionally um, at the beginning and at the end of each act, each scene. Great. Um, and in terms of working, just in terms of the magic of making a good schedule, just working with your other DGA compatriots, what was that? I'm sure you were. Yes. Um, so this is this was my first directing gig. Like the last thing I directed was a PSA in college, um, which was a PSA for uh, safe sex. I made my ex boyfriend pretend he had syphilis, and it was like a single like student camera. So this was very different. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, you know, same amount of STDs, but other than that, totally different. 
I owe my ass to my first AD and my second AD. AD. Um, my first AD is Dave Clone. Amazing. Could not have asked for a more supportive, thoughtful, just in your corner guy. He had come off of um, first ADing for Deadpool. And so at first I was really apologetic. I was like, you just came from a big Hollywood, like, action movie. And now you're here with me and these four crazies and like pussy tats. He's like, I, he's like, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I see the vision. Let's go. Um, and you know, you, especially as a, as a first timer wanting somebody with that experience, somebody who can be reassuring. And we'd have all these conversations, um, because sometimes it really does feel like, you know, you're just everything even if you have supportive people in your corner, like everything's stacked against you because of the schedule, because of the pace. Um, and so you get as aggressive as you can be, but you need somebody to check you because you don't want to be, you don't, you don't want to jump off that cliff and realize like, oh my God, I've pushed this too far. We're not going to get the scene. We're not going to get the shot. And Dave would always be my, the guy who checked me. And nine times out of 10, he was just like, go for it, boss. Um, I was also weird that like he kept calling me boss. I was like, I can't. He was, was like, you know, it was good enough for Clint Eastwood. It's good enough for you. You're boss. And you wrap by lunch, right? Just like Clint. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, um, uh, the movie gravity, you remember, uh, Alfonso Cuaron's movie, there's a short film, I believe that his brother made there's, they communicate with a space station in Alaska. Um, and his, his brother made a short about what was happening on the ground. And I'm wondering if there's a similar short that was made, uh, about cat getting her tattoo. Wow. Um, uh, yeah. You, you don't have to answer I, that. <laughs> um, you know, uh, body doubles. Um, again, uh, the number of conversations we had about tattoos and how, you know, a tattoo looks different when you lay it flat than when you, if you lay it on a, you know, on a fem on the female anatomy and, you know, uh, you like, how devilish do you get? How much is too much? Look at these. And, um, the, you do, I imagine you did renderings to get the size right. And the, Lots of we, renderings. Is this too big? Is like this too small? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And <laughs> I got to tell you, like, I thought, I mean, I've been on a bunch of crazy sets. I thought I'd seen everything. But until you've been in like a body double casting session for one of those things, it's just like, you've not been through it. We <laughs> There's a deleted scene we had where there was like the male corresponding tattoo. And again, like the actors have, you know, are, are consulted and, you know, have approval on their body doubles and you're there, you know, um, and you're on Zoom and they, you know, they come in and, you know, drop trial and, you know, and you basically like you're just standing there, like looking at people's parts, like there, it's a lot. And it's usually, it's usually seven in the morning. Yeah. Um. <laughs> no, it's, it, we were in the middle of shoot. Well, you know, cause that's the audition. And then there's the real, real. We're in the middle of like shooting the music video thing. You're just like, you know, your hair's on fire. You've just been, been directing like this insane K-pop music video. Somebody pulls you aside to this tent that they've built. We're like, well, you need to look at this like now you get dragged in. And then before you know it, you're like four inches from somebody's like business going just like, yeah, yes. You know, yes. Like, like two millimeters to the left. And I think we're, you know, we're in the pocket. Well, I think you, I think you nailed it. Um, should we take some questions? Are uh, there yeah, questions? Anyone have a query? All right, great. I guess we've covered it. Um, the question, I, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. The question was, what was your best day and what was your worst day? Um, I think my best day was uh K-pop hangar day because it was, 
Oh, thank you. Um, because it's always the days that are unmakeable that ended up being makeable and the best days because you go into it thinking like, you know, we're and you've got your whole list and everybody's just on point. And because everybody's on point, you make it and it's kind of sublime. And also because it, it was the convergence point of all these things, like the actors had recorded the song and, you know, been court, been um, practicing their choreography and had these insane outfits. And when they came on set, like having it all come together on one of your toughest days and having it work and sing, you're just like, I, this is fantastic. I can die now. Um, worst days on set, um, I think, you know, it's part of me. It's whenever we're shooting, whenever it's just static, um, and you're not doing anything. So that scene where, uh, that, that family in the Sullivan house where they're just kind of like all sitting around having to shoot like six people sitting around a table, you know, with a ton of all jokes and you're just there, um, like, you know, it's just like, Oh God, just, just go, just go, just go. Yeah. Yes. Hello. Uh, they're involved. I mean, not like day, our day to day people were uh, Josh Fagan and James Weaver, but uh, uh, Seth and Evan were very involved in like all aspects of it. And also, like Seth's got that that crazy like Fozzie Bear laugh. Like if he, yeah, you know, you you pitch your things and you're, you know, if he has that reaction, you know, like okay, that's that's good. That's funny. That works. Do you want to tell us how how it, uh, it came to pass that that you so you 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 guys brainstormed on this script for a while. They, they wrote the script. You, you, you were involved. And then what was the process to, to point gray and then to Lionsgate? Um, we wrote the script on spec. Uh, we wrote it for fun. We didn't want to develop it because it was so specific. We didn't think anybody was going to get it if we tried to sell it. Um, so we just wrote the whole thing, attached ourselves as producers, because again, we all were TV showrunner producers and, and that's the struggle as a feature writer that you don't have that same kind of agency. And particularly because it's, you know, it centers all these Asian faces and Asian led stories. It just felt like it could go so wrong in the wrong hands. Um, and we were also worried about, uh, you know, totally we go out there. Are we going to find partners that you know are going to go all the way with us? And so we didn't meet with very many places. I think Point Grey was one of two meetings we took and they read it and they said like, we want to make this. This is in our pocket. We know how to do R-rated forwards and backwards. Like, we're the people for you. And, and they were. And the, do they, do they, did they push you even further just in terms of where the movie went? Uh, yeah. I, you know, I think our, our concern was that people, some, at some point, surely a grown up was going to step in and say, stop doing this. Or like, you know, uh, you know, to their credit, like Point Grey and Lionsgate, they got it. They're like, we see what you're going for and just like, go for it. Um, I think the only time we ever kind of not, it wasn't, we didn't, the note wasn't to curb how far we went. It was just to make sure that we didn't lose sight of the heart narrative through it, which was a very good note. Yeah. And you definitely did not uh, lose sight of it. Um, anyone else? Yes. Shooting the music video. The best thing ever. The best thing ever. So so here's a trick. If you do music videos, um, one of my mentors throughout this process was also uh, John Chu, who directed Crazy Rich. And, you know, um, uh, again, God bless um, the directors who are total allies in this. Um, 
working, he kind of gave me a heads up of like working with choreographers and music videos. I thought it was going to be one of the harder sequences to shoot. And he said that it really isn't because if you just have an idea of what it is, you're not doing, you know, multiple takes, multiple angles. Like, you know, you, you have these shots locked off and then you can put it all together and edit. And also working with, um, really great choreographers. We had Joe Tulio, um, choreographers much like fight choreographers they are directors themselves so when they're doing choreography if they they know they're doing it for a video they've they'll they'll um you know pre-visit for you um they have it on the on um they'll do it on their iphones and so you have something to kind of go off of um we knew what it was gonna we knew sort of like lucy was gonna look like but we had this crazy green screen you know sequence you know that was gonna jump into it i think the hardest part about that was um, it's so out of nowhere, like it's like a complete departure for the movie where you're suddenly in dead eyes, like fever dream fantasy. Like, is this going to, is this, was this going to be the step too far was, you know, that we just go into batshit banana land. Um, but again, you just kind of go for it and, you know, go with God, hope for the best. It's a batshit banana land kind of movie. Um, all right, great. Well, I think we're, we're, uh, we're good and we're, and, and Adele is great. So thank you, Adele Lim. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. 